This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here. Go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast. We have got an awesome guest today, Mr. Dave Jackson from Arizona. Oh, Captain, my Captain, what's going on, brother? Good morning, gents. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we always start off so that people can get the background of who the person is that's on, and then I usually get all my questions from that. So why don't you uh, just take a take a step down memory lane a little bit and, and tell everybody how you got into the insurance industry and kind of what you're doing now? Because if I'm not mistaken, You've got a couple of little uh, revenue streams that you have surrounding your agency. Don't you guys do some travel stuff as well? Yeah. Uh, so long history, because I'm kind of old, uh, originally from Iowa. And right out of college, I started with AAA in Iowa. I was 11 years there. I spent a number of the years, uh, my years there in uh, corporate training and insurance administration. So that's how I got introduced to insurance, like right out of the gate. Uh, eventually became an Allstate agent in Iowa, six years, uh, sold that back to the company because uh, he had a vested interest, and then relocated to Omaha, Nebraska, started a second Allstate agency there, uh, ended up selling that to an outside buyer just four years, so a total of 10 years with Allstate, and floated around for a little bit, went back to AAA in Omaha for a little bit, eventually ended up coming out to Arizona, that was 12 years ago. Uh, with a company that I was, for a short while, I was out of the industry, and they let me relocate to anywhere I wanted to, and I wanted warm weather. I was done with old man winter. So, right, shortly after uh, I got to Arizona, I decided to get back in the insurance industry, and I became a state farm agent. So, up to that point, captive side my entire career, pretty much. Uh, except for I worked for a vendor for a couple of years, uh, AMS vendor for a couple of years in between. So anyway, uh, State Farm, and uh, I laugh because uh, I tell this story every time somebody's willing to listen. So State Farm puts you on a kind of a one-year probation. You go through eight months of training, and and uh, you're on salary, and you open your office, and everything's good to go, and you sell like hotcakes, because that's all I got to do is generate new business, because I start from scratch. Four, that's my fourth. Well, that would have been my third agency, but Four agencies all started from scratch. I know, pretty nuts. Uh, 
And before the uh, the one year was up, State Farm said, yeah, we don't think this is going to work out. I was number four in the sales district of like, I don't know, 35, you know, in, in my area and several districts in Phoenix. And so I said, fine by me. Uh, I'm going independent. So that's how I ended up on the independent side because you have number four in sales doesn't mean sh- jack to them. You got to do things their way, sell life, sell bank, sell health, sell the shit out of everything and that they want you to. And if you don't, you're, you're on the street. I mean, you seriously, you're done. So, uh, had an office lease that I had a, uh, clause in that if state farm didn't continue, I could get out, but I decided to keep it and keep my independent agency here. So that kind of helped, helped me out. It benefited me because my location didn't change. My phone number didn't change. My email didn't even change. So, you know, even though I had a non-solicit for one year, I just kept answering the phone. And so my clientele for that I sold for a year kept coming back. So I retained a share of that business. So it started from scratch tactically, but some of that business followed me. So uh, not too long after I became, uh, this is seven years ago, and then about not, not even a year, within the first year, uh, another independent friend of mine said, hey, I want you to join this group on Facebook. It's, it's for insurance agents. You might grab a lead from somebody, you know, relocating to Arizona, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, like I need that. Um, so anyway, <laughs> he added me and it was a bunch of all state agents just passing leads around the country. But it, that's where it hit me. I'm like, wait a minute. Why don't we have at least something like this? Plus, I got a million questions. I've just I've run agencies. This is not my first rodeo, but I got different t- kinds of questions. And, uh, you know, being from the captive world, majority of them are journalists, not niche commercial folks or niche anything else. And so um, I decided to start this Facebook group. And we started with like five members. Steve Holly in, in uh, the East Coast, he's the first member. I knew him from that Allstate group. So he joined. He's the very first member. He's a, you guys have had him on and he's, uh, he's an awesome stand-up guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Funny so, enough, his episode just dropped this morning. I so saw he, that. I saw yeah, that. I it was a good one too. He, yeah. he is, man. Good people. Yep. Real good people. And so when you, if you ever hear me call him number one, that's why he was the very first member other than me as the founder of the group. Uh, so anyway, you know, it didn't grow very fast at first. And I was like, Hey, you guys, I have some questions. We need some more people add your friends. So it started to grow a little bit. I don't know, in the first year, we might have had 100 members or something. Somebody finally said, let's let's have a meeting. So we put together what we call a business conference. It was on a Saturday. It was on in Anaheim because more of our members are on the West Coast at that time. And uh, so we met for one day. Everybody pitched in 30 bucks, cover the lunch. And I presented and a few others presented. Mike Stromso, Brandon Smith, Nick Ayers, uh, Shane Eastman, um, we all presented during this workshop, had some round table and everybody absolutely loved it. 27 people showed up and everybody absolutely loved it. So from there, it took off. So the following year, we decided to hold a more of a formal conference. 120 people showed up. We moved it around. It's always in January, uh, San Antonio. Then we moved to Orlando second year. Then we came back to Phoenix in Vegas. Then this last January, I think you were in San Diego. 
and there were 857 attendees in San Diego and 92 exhibitors. And so turns out we're coming to your hometown. It was supposed to be in Jan- this coming January in Tampa. Uh, and COVID's put a wrench in that those plans, so we postponed it. We're hoping for April, but who knows with the recent spikes and everything else. That's six months away, but um, who knows? Uh, <clears throat> and so the you know in Tampa, as we planned it, there'll be over a thousand attendees, 112 exhibitors, and it's become, as far as the events go, the largest uh, owner uh, type event or conference in our industry in just six years. So um, kind of proud of that. And so it's that that's just a byproduct of the group. You guys are members of the group. And um, that's all about peers helping peers. Doesn't matter what it's about, anything to do with your agency. Hiring, producers, market searches. Oh, my gosh. The list goes on and on. If, if there's something to do with an agency operation, it's been asked. It's probably been asked hundred times uh, in different ways from different people in different locations. And, you know, every question is slightly different. So sometimes the answer the same. Sometimes they're different, but it's just people helping people. And, and when they come to our conferences, they get to meet the people that they've seen on most social media and have become friends with virtually. And now to shake hands, well, used to be all shake hands. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, the, old fist, the old fist bump now. And hug and, you know. Some of them kiss the whole bit. We've had a few marriages. No joke. That's a true story. A <laughs> uh, few few uh, connections resulted in marriage. And, um, yeah. So it's become a real uh, real cool deal. The other thing we did uh, was we created a revenue stream, uh, really more as a benefit for our members. Because when you create a group, so let's say Wednesday. the Oh, Veterans Day. Probably next week. Uh, officially, I'll be posting that we'll hit the 7,000 mark, 7,000 member mark in our group. So in six years, so, you know, a little over a thousand members a year have been added. Um, and so when you, when you create a group like that, whether it's by accident, like I did it or intentionally, uh, turns out there's people who want access to your group. So who comes knocking? You know, the industry vendors, the software guys and the hardware guys and everything else has to do with agency. So rather than just, you know, not deal with that, we decided to create a group uh, discount program. We call it a MVP, Member Vendor Partnership Program. So our vendors are get a listing on our website. You go to IAOA.com, click on vendors. You'll see now we have about 112 of them. And they pay a subscription to be listed on the website. And they we provide them with a webinar once a year. We promote their webinars and our members then get discounts because they're an IOA member and it's a win-win for everybody. So, Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing too because Facebook groups have changed dramatically over the years. It used to be that you could accomplish almost the exact same thing you can do with the group with a fan page and then Zuckerberg decided it was time to change the algorithm and you couldn't see everything that was posted anymore. So Anybody who had any kind of an audience or a following had to convert over to the group format. And it's nice because the difference is with the group, you can have the files, you know, that you can, you can store in there for different templates or 
questions that are asked repeatedly, like, are you going to be open on Veterans Day? I, I saw that one start leaking out. We get that for every holiday, yeah. Yeah, earlier in the week. And I'm like, you're asking on Monday, Veterans Day is Wednesday. This is probably something that should have been addressed a couple weeks mm-hmm. back at least. But, yeah. you know, it's it's a great experience. And, I mean, I have yeah. to tell you, man, having moderated large Facebook uh, populations before, yeah, I mean, I, I have to take my hat off to you guys because having uh, managed – Facebook populations in the past. In a prior life, I had a group that I managed. It was about fifty-five thousand members, and I, I know job. what. Yeah, I know what it looks like, man. I mean, it's nonstop. Even in, in you know, we grew. Is that big. your Snowgate page? Yeah, <laughs> we grew pretty quick. But I mean, even it, it doesn't matter if you've got two hundred people in there. You've got personalities to manage and you know, group rules that you have to administer. And you guys do a really, really good job of that. Um, we don't really see, I don't see anyhow too much stuff that, that goes back and forth. And I think that that also speaks to the group itself because we want to, we want to maintain some semblance of professionalism and intended um, purpose for the group for what it was originally founded for. And I can tell you, uh, I do everything I can to try and help people in there. And I've also been helped in there. And that's one of the reasons why. Um, so if I'm going to plug anything for IAOA, one of the things that I would tell anybody listening to this that is a member, if you have not participated in the free mentorship program that is a part of IAOA and you have questions or you want somebody to hold you accountable or help you, pushed your game to the next level, you should sign up for that because I have made some incredible friendships uh, with people that I've been given the pleasure and and the responsibility of mentoring in my involvement in that. And it's, I laugh sometimes because some of them are kind of like stray cats. Once I fed them, they keep coming back for more. And even though the mentorship's over, I've got standing calls with three or four people for 30 minutes to an hour every week that I've just continued to talk because we've become good friends. And over time, I'll share things that are, you know, instead of it being more of a mentorship, uh, mentor mentee relationship, I'm sharing stuff that we're going through in our agency and and you, you become good friends with peers. And I think that's one of the unique things that is the glue that holds the thing, the whole thing together is the fact that, uh, you guys give us opportunities to interact like that. I mean, that doesn't even count all of the masterminds that have spun off of IAOA and the other things that, that people have done as a result. So, you know, kudos to you uh, for coming up with an accidental idea and uh, for all mm-hmm. the stuff that you guys have done to uh, sort of foster that growth over the years, because I know that it's an invaluable asset to nearly every member that's in there especially those that are contributing and participating on a regular basis. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for bringing up the mentorship feature. That's actually nothing we even do. That's a Facebook feature for groups. And just so people who are listening didn't know, you can go to either mobile or desktop and there's a mentorship button. You just press it, basically sign up with 10 seconds and Facebook pairs you up or you get now they let you pair up with who you want. I used to be the person to assign mentee, mentor, and so I had to do that. Yeah, for mentorship, if uh, if you're an existing member of IOA and you want to get involved in the mentorship program, like David said, it's invaluable. Oh, my gosh. I have mentored uh, dozens probably, and mostly all newer agents because I'm an old fart. But, um, 
but I have a little bit of wisdom I like to impart. I would say, you know, I've fourth agency, I've learned a few things, right? I've made a million mistakes. So I can tell you, don't do that. Don't do this. Uh, or maybe, yeah, give that a try. And anywhere in between. And everybody's got a unique situation. So it's it's the mentorship program for me is one of the coolest things. It really is. Because uh, your veteran guys get to help the younger folks and the younger folks impart fresh ideas. And it all just works, you know. And that's why I, I say think- yeah, I think that's a big thing, man. That's a, a, a huge deal because especially if you have young, you know, younger people that are coming from a different generation. I'm I don't know how old you are. I know that I'm gonna be fifty in a couple of years. So that's sixty-two. Oh wow. Okay. So yeah, you're probably one generation ahead of me for all practical purposes. Six two. <laughs> fifteen I'm, years. I'm, I'm retiring in two years. You're 15 years older than I am. So in West Virginia, you technically could be my father. Um, uh, I lived there, so I can say that. But anyhow, um, you know, one of the things I think that the the more seasoned agents need to consider is listening to what the younger people have to say, too. I mean, yeah, no just their perspective on things, because I think that we are in an industry, by and large, that does not progress in its um, metamorphosis into what it will be as quickly as some others. And so if we slow down and listen to some of those fresh ideas, it'll help us trend along with all of the other segments of industry. Um, You know, that's, that's a huge deal. One thing I would tell you too, is, I mean, your, your perspective is invaluable because I think it looks like there are a lot of people and, and maybe it's just because I haven't been around people who have migrated from the captive arena uh, that much, but it seems like over the course of just the time that I've been involved in IAOA, that there has been a massive influx of people leaving captives to open independent agencies. And we see it with the people that we work with in Killing Commercial. There's people that all state farmers just selling their agencies and saying, I'm done, I'm fed up with it, I'm ready to go do something completely different. And I want to do something uh, in the middle, like with us, they're talking to us because of middle market commercial, they want to run so far away from what they've always known. I have to believe that's a little bit overwhelming. You leave a captive, there are rules. You come to the independent side, the only rules there are the ones that the state enforces against you. Otherwise, you don't have, yeah, there's no structure, no, real anything. So what was that migration like for you? Well, see, and that's why I hate to jump back to IOA. That's why it was so important for me to found it because selfishly coming from the captive world, I wanted to get new questions answered. You know, it's an agency, but there's a whole series of different types of questions to running an independent agency and there is a captive. So uh, selflessly, that's one of the reasons why I got created, because I needed some of my questions answered. But um, here's what I'll tell you what I've learned, because I've been around since the pre-internet dawn, uh, pre-internet age, uh, when carriers did things, you know, three carbon foreign paper applications and key punch cards, you know, in the county department. Uh, Life looked a lot different. Uh, Mainframes and, you know, Climate control, computer rooms, all that. No uh, PCs, no none of that. So I started in '79 uh, with AAA in Iowa. So uh, here's what I see in the industry. If you guys don't mind me imparting some of my views, because I've seen a bit 
41 years. Um, younger guys, you know, oh my gosh, we need them. We need them. There's a new generation. Baby boomers are ousting, you know, getting ready to retire, selling agencies left and right, all time high, right? Uh, and the newer guys are coming in and uh, getting their feet wet as independents, some coming from the cap side, a large number of them. Uh, others started from scratch, others, you know, coming through independent agencies themselves or family owned or whatever. And um, most of them only know the Internet uh, phase of the business. You have to understand almost all of the insurance companies you're working with started before the Internet ever came around. So talk about, you know, everybody considers us a conservative industry. It's conservative, conservative for a reason. Uh, and so are most older industries, insurance being one of them. And insurance is pretty vast, you know, trillions of dollars. So um, newer guys want to embrace technology, bless their heart. And they get frustrated when carriers don't come along and, you know, get get on the bandwagon as well. And you just, you're just going to have to... Uh, be patient with that whole process because they're slow to move. I've, I've seen them when they were, there's no computers around, you know, we didn't, we did everything on paper and uh, you know, that wasn't that long ago, 25 years is all. So uh, in the last, in the last 25 years, it's been a huge adoption. Some carriers are better than others. Some are slow. They, when I was state farm, no joke, seven years ago, I worked on a DOS-based system with State Farm, <laughs> the largest insurance carrier in the United States. It's fantastic. It's called NECO, N-E-C-H-O. Uh, I forget what that stands for, but it was DOS-based seven years ago. Isn't that unbelievable? So <laughs> it, you just this being in this industry takes a ton of patience. Uh, you know, a lot of frustration. You know, data is a huge catchphrase. Throw it around. You know. Agents need to own data and and they'll they'll be more efficient and have more invested, all that. You know, I, I take all that with a grain of salt. Um, everybody wants to jump on board data. I, I, I think uh, I hear people uh, bragging about their tech stack, right? And I just laugh. I'm like, oh my gosh. I used to do business, uh, you know, meeting people face-to-face in person. <laughs> we don't do that anymore. Uh, especially this year, less and less. Uh, but, so it's just the way where the industry has come from. So don't expect it to change overnight. I guess one thing I can say, it's a slow, slow process. That slow process frustrates a lot of people. Uh, they want it to move a whole lot faster. Your 30-somethings, your 20-somethings, they're ready to go. You know, they're app-based. Everything's app, 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 app. Let's move. And I don't want to talk to people. I want them to do things my way and they want to do things their way. And it doesn't always mean talking to people. But, you know, in the end, we're humans still. Every one of us, even our clientele, even our underwriters. And, you know, everybody knows underwriters suck. But um, <laughs> but uh, when it bo- what it still boils down to is human interaction at some point, somehow, some way. Uh, probably more so on the commercial side than it does on the personal side. Personal right. must be so transactional and so uh, virtual. And you know, don't talk to me. You know, I don't. I have a phone, but I don't want it to ring. You know, that's kind of the mm-hmm. attitude. So um, just patience, people. Just have a little patience. Are we going to get to where you want to be? I'm talking to the twenty and thirty somethings. I don't know. 
that's 20, another 25 years down the road for them. I don't know. I'll be out of the industry by then. Uh, but, um, you know, it probably won't, my guess is it probably won't move at the speed that you're looking for. So that again could frustrate you. So maybe this is the industry for you. Maybe it's not. I don't, I don't know. You'll figure that out. But, um, a lot of change, you know, technology obviously is a huge part of it. And, uh, here we are on a podcast, you know, how long ago did we even not have podcasts, you know, probably 10 years ago. <laughs> So they weren't even heard of. So what's going to happen in the next five or 10 years? Don't know. I'm not a prognosticator. I just know what I've seen in the past. I know the insurance industry as as an overall industry moves very slowly. So that's why we're term conservative um, because we just don't move super, super firm. You know, there's insure tech firms. Yeah, there's that arm of those type of guys that want to reinvent and uh, what's the word? I always remember. What's the word? Uh, I always look like an idiot when I try to drum up this. Uh, they want to, um, you know, mix things up. What's the word I'm looking for? You got me, man. <laughs> We're right there on the same page. Hold on, Google. Help me out. Uh, not interrupt, but. Um, oh, disruption. Disruption. Jeez, I don't even. Yes. <laughs> disruption. <laughs> They not want to be dis- a disruptor. Not, dis- not, not disruptors on here right now. No. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I, I, that's another one that, you know, gets thrown around a lot, right? Disruption, disruption. And our industry is prime disruption for disruption, just like the cab industry was. And Uber and Lyft, they came in, you know, I get it. But uh, is Lemonade and all the others going to take over? Mm-hmm. Maybe, but it's going to be a lot slower move. You're not going to have an Uber or Lemonade come in and in five years just change the whole world, you know, in the insurance world. I don't see that happening. So no, I, you know, I think I think the thing that's cool about our industry is that it is moving, you know, in a technological direction, but you still have the ability to toggle back and forth. Like, what's your fallback position if technology doesn't work? We just go meet with people in person again. You do business the way that we've always done it. So it's not like we are forced to do that. I think that people are coming in from other industries with fresh ideas and they want to try and push that envelope. But, you know, the real, the only, there, there is no real downside to that. Okay. Maybe we get more efficient. Maybe we get better technology. If not, a lot of people have made a good living doing the business the way it's always been done in the insurance industry. So, you know, it's not like that stuff is necessary. I don't, I'm not saying that I don't agree with some of the technological advances that we've made, but it's not like we have to do it for the industry to survive to a certain degree. That being said, I am one of the people that thinks big data is going to play a huge role in what's going on. I'm not one of the tinfoil hat conspiracy wearing people that are so worried about, controlling my own, but I do believe people like Amazon and Google and Uber and all of them that have access to pretty much anything and everything they want to know about anybody will figure out a way to enter the space and they will figure out a way to automate it. And that will appeal to a certain subset of the population. That being said, there's a certain subset of the population that's never going to leave an insurance agency where they need to have that one-on-one contact, especially if they've been through a claim, 
So I can see that happening more so for the personal line side of things where it is a more transactional situation. But if you're a business and a business owner and you're wanting to make sure that you're adequately covered and that there's no holes and you're not going to you know, run into any issues, I don't think that you're just going to up and purchase, at at least in my opinion, just, you know, buy insurance policies through Amazon and Google without having any type of real guidance or conversation with an actual insurance agent. Or what happens when there's a wrinkle? Like I went out to visit a client this morning because we're disputing the workers' comp audit. Came back mm-hmm. with seventeen grand in additional premium. I solved the problem in literally two and a half minutes, but I had to be sitting across from them right. to get the information and do it. That wouldn't have been. And that's that kind of what I'm saying exactly. You know, that's not going to happen with you know just clicking a few buttons when you're checking out on on Amazon or or Google. You know. No, and I heard I heard uh, Scott Howell uh, say something one time. Um, on, on the insurance guys podcast as they were getting ready to have, it may have been one of the first hurricanes hit that of the multitude of hurricanes that have hit the panhandle, Louisiana Gulf coast area this year. And, and, you know, that's where insurance agents are made is when the claims happen. And I think that if you've ever had a client that has had a claim issue and you've, you've gotten them through that and helped them through what in most cases is the worst thing that's ever happened to them they're not going to buy their insurance from a computer because a computer's not going to be able to get that done. Right. Well, if you've ever stood in a person's front door with a check on the day their house is on fire and they, and you have a check to hand them and they're crying on your shoulder, you'll know why you're in the business. Uh, and there's nothing more. So here's what I'll say about Google and Amazon. So, you know, they've been poking at our industry, right? Google tried to enter and, you know, they found out, it's maybe not our cup of tea. Amazon's now one of the more recent players. These are big dudes, right? Facebook, maybe at some point. All these big data dudes, uh, they're going to try. Don't don't get me wrong. Uh, <clears throat> it's kind of like, you guys watch Yellowstone with Kevin Costner? It's kind of like that. Anyway, so he's this big landowner in Montana, and he's got all these enemies trying to poke at him, taking his land away. And it's kind of like the insurance industry is the same way, and you got these outside tech guys like Amazon, and they're poking, and they're trying to get their wiggle their way in. They'll try, and they may be successful, but here's what I'll say to the agency force. Um, at some point, sometime, you're right, a claim gets to be paid. All you have to do is know how to create your relationship with your clientele, how, whatever that looks like. It can be face-to-face handshake with a, an audit review, or it can be an email, or it can be texting, or it can be any way you want to form that relationship, as long as your client's good with it and you retain them as a client, more power to you. Do it your way. Do it the way they want it to be. And everybody gets along and it works. Yeah, I think one of the things that I see people in the agency world where they're a little bit short-sighted is we, we want people to do everything the way we want it to be done. And I understand that there are rules inside of the agency world, but in, in, in generally speaking, sometimes you have to meet people where they want to be met to get that information from you, to get to, to receive it. So for me, I struggle. I struggle a lot with technology, even though we have a ton of it in the agency. It's difficult for me to do a video proposal because I'm used to putting on the suit and tie and shaking somebody's hand and thanking them for giving me the money and, and looking them in the eye, you know, and, you know, Kyle's, quite a bit younger than I am, but he's kind of an old soul at heart for all practical purposes. And that's, that's the fiber that we've been woven from. I just, Mm -hmm. it's been a, it's been a constant mental battle for my, just for me personally to know 
you know what? That other person would actually prefer me not come there because they don't want me to intrude on their day. Doesn't mean they don't like me. It just means there's a more efficient way, and that's the way we would pre- they would prefer us to do business. Yeah. So I have to consciously do that. But that goes back to knowing your clients and knowing what their preferences are, what they want, and how you can best relate to them. And the easy way to do that is ask. Until seven True. years until seven years ago, uh, prior to that, all those years on the captive side. I never sent one text to a client. We didn't do it. But since then, I'm like, we do 10,000 a year. And so that's just technology that our agency has embraced. Because why? Our clientele say that's how they want to communicate. And they just do all day long. They do. So fine by me. And we've got a system that allows us to easily do it. Uh, saves every bit of it. So we retain all that d- information for E&O standpoint. And I don't mind it one bit. I, you know, I'm a texting fiend. So, well, so- I'll tell you, man, it blows my mind because it actually catches me off guard. We, we have texting capabilities inside the agency. It integrates with our CRM, which is HubSpot. So everything is captured and retained. But what blows me away is when it's somebody that I've gone back and forth with over text to get a deal done. Two months later, I just get a random text from that app on my phone and it's my client asking me a question. And if I'm not paying attention, I'd completely miss it because I'm mm-hmm. not getting a text from that app because it doesn't come through the texting portion of my phone. It comes through Sakari, which is the third party app we've used to integrate with HubSpot. So I got to be on my game, man, and make sure that I'm constantly checking my phone notifications because some of the people, that's how they're going to reach out to me, period. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, our, we use a different system where I'm on easy links and um, we get notified via email. So, I mean, emails, you know, you're looking at that 100%. So, you don't yeah, miss thankfully, very that, That's what we had to do. I had to have our programmer go in and create a task inside HubSpot so that when that text would come through. The task would alert me via email that I had a text I needed to look at just right. to make a fail safe to make sure that I didn't miss it. But it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, I, I didn't use text until a year ago, you know, a year, year and a half Seriously. ago. Wow. That's cool. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, now we've integrated and I, again, with our average clientele in our agency, that's not really something that's prevalent, but with homeowners, you know, now that we have personal lines and we've launched that, that is a good way to follow up. And it's a good way to be able to, you know, give quick instructions and everything. And and people tend to prefer that. So we're learning to, we're learning to communicate in ways we haven't in the past. Yeah. Personal lines, they'll do that because it's so much more transactional and commercial. So it's going to generate more uh, contact opportunities between your clients. So you'll definitely see a good use for it. Um, if your clientele are comfortable with it and I wouldn't be surprised if they are because now with the mobile devices we have and the tech, the uh, ease of use with those, everybody's got one in their car. That's why there's, you know, uh, uh, driving apps, right. For a snapshot and all that. And so, because those devices are in everybody's hand, follows them everywhere. It's just a way of life. Some days I don't like it. And I'd rather unplug. Other days, I'm like, how would I get along without it? And, you know, that's technology. It just keeps evolving, and we evolve with it, or we don't, or and that's fine. However, anybody wants to move along at their pace. So I'm I'm curious, aside from State Farm kicking you to the curb for, you know, 
fourth place not being good enough. Um, right. You were with you know in the captive arena for years before that. Was there other things that led into that um, in terms of you leaving and, and going independent? Were there other factors that you know kind of happened along the way where it was just like you know what I'm going to do this and, and the, the timing is just right. Yeah, the great great question. I was tempted before mm-hmm. uh, after each um, all state agency because and the biggest thing is um, market access. They you know they only write what they want to write. They mm-hmm. don't write this broad you know like an independent has access to so many companies with a broad appetite. Their appetite is very narrow. Uh, Allstate, State Farm, those are the only two I was with, twice with Allstate. Um, but Farmers, American Family, Liberty Mutual, all of them, uh, the captives are uh, pretty much the same. They might offer a little bit of brokerage, you know, access outside of what they do. But what they do is pretty limited. So it frustrates you. You lose clients because you can't write this one piece of business that this client has. And that just frustrates you to no end. And so you lose out to a broker or some other carrier that can do it because you couldn't write one piece of accommodation business. Mm-hmm. And, oh, that just burns you to no end. So that's number one by far. It's like, I just need I just need to be able to write a wave runner. That's all I need. You know? <laughs> it's not a big one. It's a little bitty $200. But if you can't let me do that, the whole household leaves. And it's, oh, right. so that's frustrating. That was a big one. Uh the deal with State Farm is they have six different product lines that they need you to sell. They're into bank. They're into mortgage. They're into health. They're into, uh, of course, personal and some commercial. Uh, and if you don't sell them all, they have this hugely complicated scorecard, they call it, where you have to score well enough in each category. If you don't, including life, that's a big one. And if you don't, uh, it doesn't matter if you're number four in the district and one. No, their number one product line, as you can imagine, is auto. Mother Mutual leads with auto. Everything else comes behind it. So uh, if you can sell auto, and that's what I was number four in, you're a hero. But if you're not ranking in the other categories, you get the boot. They don't care. So uh, you got to do things their way. And I was just too much of a rebel. I admit it now. I didn't want to admit it then, but I do now. I was too much of a rebel. I was... M- same with Allstate, but I just put up with them. Uh, but so I was much more uh, suited for the independent side. I just didn't jump over quick enough. I should have done it 30 years ago. Um, but there's mm-hmm. um, probably thousands of, of independents now who can tell a similar story. Probably thousands of them. What, right. what would you say the biggest surprise has been to you coming over to the independent side from being captive? I'm sure there's things you expected, but there had to be some things that caught you off guard too. What do you think the biggest surprise was or has been? Nobody's ever asked me that one. Uh, let me think for a second. Biggest surprise on the independent side. Um, hmm. Uh, I wasn't surprised at uh, comparative raters and management systems, uh, technology that way. I wasn't surprised at that. Uh, I wasn't surprised at carriers and their appetites and how they want to do business. I wasn't surprised at that. Um, That's unbelievable. I I wasn't too surprised. Uh, I had my eyes pretty wide open. 
I had been kind of keeping an eye on that side of it for a while, even before State Farm. Not that I knew it inside and out, but um, I always, so I always had that in mind. So when the time came, I had a short period of time to react. I had 45 days uh, before when they notified me and I had to shut down my office. Uh, so, I mean, it only took me two, probably two hours to make the decision that I was going independent. But um, I didn't have any major surprises. That was good. That was a good thing. But um, probably the biggest thing, my biggest surprise was being able to satisfy more than one mouth you know, for terms of carriers. Now I've got multiple mouths to feed. Uh, and so learning all the ways that they do business and none of them do it the same. They're all different in some aspect. And so you just got to learn all those different aspects. I learned what RoboForm was. Didn't need that before. I do now because <clears throat> I have a hundred different passwords to save. Um, so it was just having that you know, broad family and mouths to feed uh, rather than just one because that's all you had before. So that was probably the biggest adjustment. I don't know if it was a surprise, but probably the biggest adjustment. And that was the area where I needed help from my peers and getting my questions answered. You know, um, there's a lot of aspects of running an agency, whether you're captive or independent, that are the same. And then there's a good share of them that are different because of the carrier situation. You're just dealing with so many more. What's the mix of your agency now? I mean, are you 100% personal lines? Do you end up being? No, I'm more like about 80, 20, 80 personal. Uh, the 20, I have a couple of commercial niches. The 20% that we do write is from a couple of small niches and then pretty much accommodation business, you know, on our, from our personal lines clients. One of them that I started was about three or four years ago, and that's aviation. I love aviation. Uh, I started with drones. I have, you even go to my website, our agency website, you'll see uh, uh, a page there that talks about how to get drone coverage. And we just switched to a high-tech broker this year, which is really cool. I'm super excited. And uh, it's kind of a self-serve, you know. Uh, if you if your question's great, but... You can load your shopping cart and buy your policy today without me ever talking to you. So, and, and it's a great, great coverage. Uh, I'm interested in that a little bit. So who's buying that from you? Companies, homeowners that have drones or a combination, all of the above? No, homeowners who have, homeowners who have drones are hobbyists. They don't need insurance for the most part. If they do want it, that's fine. I usually tell them to go buy a membership from this uh, group that is a um, hobbyist membership association. And along with that membership for like 80 bucks a year, you get a million dollar liability policy for drones. So that's what I tell hobbyists to do. I don't get involved in that. That's 80 bucks a year. You can't make many money there. So I deal with primarily uh, photographers, uh, surveyors, uh, a lot of surveyors. Uh, and, um, there's um, photographers will do uh, video work, um, lots of video, and then realtors, if they're big enough, they'll you know do their drone uh, flyovers for their homes they're looking to list. And so those are some of the bigger ones that I do. And they're, those premiums are more like, you know, they're not huge. They're not middle market, obviously. They're more in the one to 2,000 range, but... Um, well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking there's probably a lot of insurance agents out there that think they're hobbyists, but they're not. 
because they're doing roof inspections and all kinds of other stuff using drones. I'm right. one of them. I've, I just bought a brand new Mavic 2 that's sitting still in the box. I was asking the question for selfish reasons because I don't want to let that thing loose especially if my uh, youngest son can get oh, his dude. hands on it. Ethan, That's Ethan, where I was going with that. Yeah, I, I knew, as soon as I saw your face, I knew exactly what you were thinking. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I know what I'm going to do. And, I mean, if I'm using this thing for YouTube videos that are promoting, promoting my business or I'm using it for loss control or, you know, just checking out for hazards on properties and things and places where I might not be able to get or be willing to go, i.e. the roof, I need coverage for that, man. So I think that you've probably got a huge market of people that are listening to this podcast that need to go to your website and check out your drone coverage. They, they can either do that or there are a few carriers. Hartford's one of them. If you've got your GL with Hartford, they'll do an add-on for uh, specifically for drone coverage. That'll cover an agency. I have my personal uh, GL through my agency with Hartford. And if I needed it, I don't run a drone. But if I needed it... Um, I would add that on. So that's one good place to get it without a whole lot of effort. And, uh, but if you just want a standalone policy, uh, yeah, I, my, I have a relationship as I'm a retailer for a, for a wholesale broker and they, uh, allow me to, um, offer their products and it's all web-based. It's all, um, shopping cart. You know, I don't get involved. It's non-transactional for me. So they just, Look what it's so easy. It's it's a single limit liability policy, like an umbrella. You know, what do you need? One million or two million? And then okay, sign me up and fill in a few fields, and you're done. So with uh, with with the Hartford, are there limitations in terms of um, classes of business that that they'll let fly with that, or are they? So the class of business comes into the base policy, right? Right. I'm an office, right? Office and insurance office. Medical. Sure. Uh, a realtor could be that same way. Um, so the typical uses, they're going to cover them. Okay. Uh, it's only when you get into big industrial, bigger industrial stuff. Um, and I've got which, a few. Which they're probably not going to write anyhow. So. Right. So I have uh, the largest um, UAS, uh, unmanned aerial uh, systems is what they're called, or UAVs, um, have the biggest retailer in Phoenix. They sell drones to the public. And uh, they they pump out about $20 million a year selling drones. So I have their GL, their property, uh, and they, so they were good until, it was super simple writing them, until about a year ago or two, maybe, <clears throat> they decided, uh, we want to allow our clients to take one out in the parking lot and just fly it around as a test run. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's a whole different deal now, guys. So we had to find that, how to figure out how to do that. <clears throat> because it's not a rental program. It's just a test drive, you know. But have you ever seen a video of a drone injuring a, a human being? It's not a pretty, pretty video to watch. I'm telling you right now. If a drone ever hurt somebody, you could be in a major world of hurt. Uh, you could have a permanent injury and a lawsuit that probably doesn't end. So, yeah, there's there's risk out there. So to have guys that know their product, right, they're a retailer selling a lot of drones, and they know it, but they're gonna actually going to hand the controls over to maybe a never, a totally inexperienced operator, 
you know, what's he do? He crashes it into a car or, uh, you know, into a human's the worst part. Well, they're not going to be over crowds, luckily, but um, still, it's just too much of a risk, you know, for your normal GA to GL to handle. So got to get that taken care of. Yeah, I've seen some crazy stuff on the commercial side, too. So I have a client um, from my from my past that has since sold their operation, but they manufactured the clamshell containers that blueberries and strawberries and all of that stuff go into to be um, sold at the grocery store. And so, you know, we're in the strawberry capital of the East coast here, plant cities like 10 minutes from my house. And their deal was they wanted to find a value add that they could give to these farmers so that the farmers would use them to manufacture the plastics for them. So they went out. I'll never forget this. I was at a lunch meeting with the CFO and he's like, oh, by the way, um, we bought a drone and it's got a hundred thousand dollar camera attached to it. And I'm like, what? Hold on. Time out. I don't even know that I trust you guys walking around with a hundred thousand dollar camera, let alone attaching it to a drone. But what they did was they would take the drone and they would fly it over the crops and they would be able to identify areas that might have some uh, disease or insect issues, or perhaps the irrigation wasn't working properly. And these are areas that they might not see if they were on the ground trying to just cover everything. Hmm. And so they would go out, they'd fly their drone, and then they would come back and they'd give that footage to the farmers. And that was the value add. They didn't charge them anything at all for it. If they were their client and they bought their clamshell containers from them, they would let them uh, they they would provide them with all of these drone reports on an annual basis so that their yield on their crops was that much better. And they actually drove profitability for the farmers and helped themselves keep and retain business because nobody else had come up with that. So, I mean, yeah. I thought that was a pretty ingenious way to use it. We've seen it done in loss control and all of that right now because, you know, of roofs and, and all of the other stuff that we need to look at on buildings sure. down here. Specifically, if it's like an AC unit that's on a commercial building or something like that. I don't know if you've ever been on the roof of a building in Tampa in July, but it's not altogether different than being on the roof of a building in Phoenix in July. I live in Phoenix, believe me. If I I wanted to like burn my soles of my feet, I would go do that, but I don't do that. Yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely nuts. But I mean, I do think that that's one way that we can use technology in the industry to differentiate ourselves. I just started using video for a lot of stuff, not just drone based, but even doing videos of loss control visits that you can turn around and share with a client after the fact with actual, you know, video proof you know, of, of what's going on and, and issues that are happening. See these cords, bro, get these cords off the ground. Hey, I had one. I was on record with the cords and two days later, I, I, somebody tripped over the cords. It was the exact same cord. It's, always, it's always the cords. Always. It's yeah. always the cords. Well, let me ask you this. I mean, you, you had another niche besides drones. What else are you? What else do you have from a niche market standpoint aside from that? Because that, that's an interesting one to me, man. I'll send anybody I know that needs the insurance your way. Yep. Um, that was the primary one. The other ones were way more secondary. Um, I actually bought an agency, uh, acquired an agency as an independent, and uh, that took us into the. Um, manufactured home market, primarily in the city of Mesa. So one, obviously we're one of the, um, you know, snowbird capitals of the, of the U S and, uh, Mesa is a hotbed for secondary homes for the northerners and Canadians. 
And so there's a ton of those sitting out there. There's an agency in Mesa who like is probably 90% that market and uh, they dominate. So in order to break into that is a little tricky, but this agency I acquired had a share, a book of that business. So we learned that business really quick. It wasn't, it's not super difficult, but um, we had to find a better market in order to keep from this other agency from snarfing it all up because um, the, the prior owner um, probably needs some help with it. So we shored that up and uh, got a better, uh, better market for it. And uh, it's thriving now. So, um, so we, we do some of that <coughs> primarily in the East Valley here that's close to us. Good deal. Yeah. I mean, we don't, we don't deal with any of that, but I know that there are the people who have that niche down here absolutely crush it. Cause there's just not a lot of people that are going to write mm-hmm. manufactured homes in Florida. They have a tendency of relocating zip codes when the wind blows. So yeah. <laughs> not too many carriers want to get on it, but the ones who do just seem to absolutely dominate. You know, it's interesting, man, that the, uh, the drone thing is a, is an automated process because we've done some stuff in our agency too, with quote bind issue things where we can just put, uh, you know, some AdSense behind or AdWords behind it, drive people to a landing page. And we, we've done that with wedding insurance. We've done it with martial arts studios. We've done it with CrossFit and fitness studios. And they're not things that would be huge revenue generators for the agency. So I don't want to invest any time into them. But what they do make is for nice mailbox money. Yeah, totally. I, I love the fact that we have passive revenue streams that just pay me every month and I don't have to do yeah. anything for it. Yeah. Another one, another niche that I kind of um, stumbled into uh, is barbershops. Uh, I have one right next door to me. And so Angelo, Italian Angelo, let me cut your hair. I will cut your hair exactly the way you want it. He's the coolest dude on the planet, Angelo. Uh, he's got a barbershop. He's since retired, moved to Florida. <laughs> Not funny, you know. And his grandson now runs it. But um, I insured him right out of the gate as soon as I moved in, as soon as he moved in, because I was before him. And then um, he's like, oh, I know all the barbers in town. I'm like, sweet, let's go talk to him. So I got, I don't know, a few hundred barbers. Um, and they're not uh, obviously ones that are going to – it's good, good – uh, it's barbershop money. So uh, yeah, I mean, listen, man, here's the way that we set it up. And I don't know who you use for your program. Um, we have a, a group out of Indiana or Illinois. Francis Aldean is who set it up for us. Mm-hmm. But barbershops uh, is one of them and salons is another. But I mean, the way that that program is set up, we don't take a commission on the product. We write the product net and there's a $49.99 service fee. So we're making 50 bucks a pop on it. And if you think about it, man, you write six, eight of those a day, you're making $100,000 a year to do nothing. Uh, But not to mention the fact, the beautiful part about it, and the one reason why I really like that model for the smaller, more transactional stuff, is we can get all of that information dumped into HubSpot when we sell those policies. Then we can begin to market to these people for their personal lines. Many Mm -hmm. of the salons and the barbershops and those things You've got independent contractors that need their own policy to cover them while they're working in the in the, the main place. So you write all of the chairs, then you write the salon itself or the barbershop itself, then you start hitting them for personalized. The next thing you know, that crazy little barber policy turned into ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars in agency revenue because of the reach you got exactly. as a result of being able to meet that need. 
Yeah, on just the barbershop niche that we have, we have a 76% penetration rate on the purse line side. So um, it's our highest one of our niches. So um, uh, you're right. It's just the, the foot in the door, the lead in. I, you know, I, people buy my chops all the time because, you know, why they say, why are you screwing around with $50, bar, um, $50 wedding policies when you're out in the middle of the market? And I'm like, hey, uh, here's the fun fact for you. As long as my ad spend is less than the revenue that I'm bringing in on these wedding policies, you're going out and paying for personal lines leads and I'm getting paid for them. Who's the dummy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've never paid for a lead. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. As an, as an independent. Yeah, it's crazy, man. We haven't really uh, done much either. We pay for the traffic to go to the to the quote bind issue stuff, but even then, my budget's so minimal. I don't think we ever spend more than a hundred dollars a month on ad on ads on Google, That's and we nice. we're we're getting anywhere between five and ten leads a day across everything that we're advertising for. So if I ever get serious and put real money behind it, like Nick would want me to, then that would be a whole different animal. Exactly. Yeah. Well, listen, man, we're wrapping up on an hour, uh, running up on an hour. I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate you coming on and and sharing some stuff. Why don't you uh, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you? I'm sure people will want to reach out, especially uh, those who who don't know about IAOA. It, It blows my mind. The number of people I run into a week that I talk to that still aren't members for as many as we have, there's that many more that aren't yet. And I do my best. I do my best to uh, to send people over that I that I run into that, that would benefit from the group, but also the mentorship piece. I cannot stress enough: you are not just getting through. You've got quality people that are willing to spend time with you that have a lot of experience in our industry and can give you great insight into what you could be doing to to get to uh, to be able to further your career. You know, don't don't just skip over this section of the podcast. That's probably the most powerful thing that we've talked about that's going to change people's lives that hear this. So just so people understand, IOA uh, is Insurance Agency Owners Alliance. It doesn't indicate independent. However, 100% of our members are required to be, well, obviously, number one, a Facebook user, so you can join our group. Number two, independent. And number three, the agency principal or owner or partner. You must have an agent uh, ownership interest. So no captives, no carriers, no vendors, no staff. I get those every day that try to join, and we don't allow them. Only those three things. And independent and agency principal owner, partner uh, are a requirement. So uh, if you're listening and you hear this and you'd like to join, simply go look up IAOA, search in Facebook. You'll find it instantly. Request to join. And you're going to get asked three questions about your agency and your ownership interest. And if you qualify, you get approved. We approve a thousand a year. Uh, I disapprove more than a thousand a year because we get lots of people joining who don't qualify. So we're very, very restrictive that way. And that's why our group is such a niche. We're not looking for it to grow to 55,000. There's only 40,000 independent agencies in the United States. We have 7,000. Now, some, most of them are PNC, but there, we do have some uh, life, health, and senior guys, benefits, uh, who are independent. And that's fine. They're all welcome as long as they're an owner, principal, or partner. So uh, join the group or request to join. I'm the actual one who approves people, and uh, I still do that. I've done that since day one. 
And uh, once you join, you can uh, jump in on the partner on the men- mentorship program. Uh, super simple, free, doesn't cost you, but a, you know a little bit of your time. And the, the return is just astronomical. As David, he's a he's a big proponent of it. So definitely do that. Um, and we're not we we don't have aspirations of you know growing to any certain level. It's not why we've ever ever been uh, was organized. So if we're 7,000 members five years from now, great. We, we're good with that. We're helping those people or they're helping each other is what it really is amounts to. I'm not the one helping. Uh, it's all our members who join in and they all take a real collaborative approach. Those are our three principles, uh, collaboration, selflessness, and innovation. So those are the three things that we strive to adhere to every day. And uh, it turns out, 7,000 people um, are interested in, in getting the same thing for themselves. So, yeah, terrific. So, in order, way to get, best way to get a hold of me, uh, you can get a hold of me through Dave at IAOA.com. And via email, you can hit me up on Facebook. I'm there on Private Messenger. Dave and I have chatted many times. Uh, and if you can't find me, you're a fool because I'm on there all day long, every day. <laughs> it's just part of running a business. I'm on my mobile, like nonstop, you know, that's where I am. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me. I'm not going to be on Parler, okay? Just so you know out there, people, I've decided enough's enough. What, what a, yeah, what a train wreck. Not that I'm going to get into the politics of it, but I saw I I saw everybody going over there, so I joined and I went over and I'm like, oh, okay. All of a sudden, I felt a need to go online and buy cases of canned goods and look for real estate in Montana. You know, it was just like this place is nuts. So I don't even want to hear about it. Non-censored. Yeah. I, I don't even want to hear yeah. about it. Do, I, I, don't, I don't have time to keep up with another thing anyhow. No joke. Who has time for all that? There's others, a couple others that are similar. I'm like, oh my goodness. So yeah. You can search parlor all day long. Guess what? I'm not there. So, there <laughs> so be happy with that one. Um, I got a, enough places you can find me. I can't hide. Uh, but that's the best way to get a hold of me. Email, Facebook, LinkedIn, any of those are prime. Uh, tw- Twitter, if you want. I don't tweet much, but I used to call it. Uh, and I don't Snapchat. I don't do that either. So. Good deal. Well, listen, as we wrap up, I just want to thank you again, uh, whether it was intentional or unintentional, your vision and the leadership that you provide for our industry by having that group is unparalleled. I know that you impact so many lives that you may not even know about. You know about the ones who tell you, but there's so many more that probably don't come forward. And I know that I can speak on behalf of all of those people and sincerely thank you for everything that you've done. I know that it's made an impact to my career and just look forward to uh, many more years of being able to collaborate, uh, innovate, and do so selflessly with you in IAOA, sir. Thank you so much. Appreciate it very much, David and Kyle. You guys do a great job for the industry. Keep it up. Thanks, man. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.